All right. Welcome back to the Outdoor Drive Podcast. This is episode number 89, I think, right? Yeah. 89, man. You're on the ball. I am. I'm right on it. I appreciate it. Because last week was 88, so this week's got to be 89. Speaking of 88, you know what was at 88? Uh, Dale Earnhardt? Well, that too, oh. but that's we won't go that route. It's a little more morbid. Uh, I was thinking like Doug Schmidt because he because it was his birthday. Ooh, and he looks like touche. You I know? like that. Yeah, I was thinking Curly because Curly was at eighty yards, right? And I mean, ultimately, they both ate a ton of carbon. That's right. If that's bad, that sounds really bad. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> no. So, why don't you explain exactly what Curly is? Because some people didn't show up, so they wouldn't know what that is. I will be happy to because he owned to a mine this past weekend. We got the opportunity to go to the 2021 working class bow hunter shoot in Galesburg archery club in Rio, Illinois. And if you didn't go, you missed out because man, it was a good time. So Curly is the club's latest addition. It is a giant steel buck. You know, you have Doris, and Doris did, she had her appearance, and she ate plenty of arrows too, but they placed Curly at 88 yards, and uh, they they did some really cool giveaways. So, there were a lot of people out there flinging arrows, and uh, let's just say that that pile added up. What do you say? There was 150 arrows destroyed? Yeah, it's just, gotta just be. Just a guess. So, yeah, we went out there and... Uh, we did the shoot, shot the shoot, lost some arrows during the shoot, and whatever we had left afterwards, we came back and destroyed on Doris and Curly. So what what do you think of the shoot, man? What were your I, thoughts? I mean, so this is year number three for me. And, you know, the growing the growing of, you know, the shoot itself and working class and kind of what it's become into what it is today. It's just absolutely amazing, man. And and a huge congratulations to to those guys who have kind of built this this amazing shoot and in this opportunity to to gather with with very like-minded great people. Um you know, every year it kind of gets a little bit harder and harder and harder. And I think this year <laughs> probably was was probably one of the hardest. Um kind of they make it like serious hunting scenario times 5. So if you spook a deer and he runs behind a tree, then that's... That's your shot. <laughs> that's your shot. So um, it was kind of cool, you know, and the boys kind of ran through the course and um, they gave away all kinds of stuff. They were giving away $100 to Old Barn Taxidermy. Um, me and Andrew uh, had yeah, a shootout shoot for um, for a pair of Leopold glasses. They were giving away... I saw... Um, Eric had a uh, Tetra site from HHA that he was giving away. So they were doing kind of like closest area to the center or, you know, with different groups, they were doing giveaways there. Uh, they were giving away big time stuff. I mean, it was just a, it was just a great event with great people. Um, everyone had a smile on their face and it was just really cool to see everybody and kind of hang out. Oh, I yeah. love going out there um, and just yeah, and, being around all those guys. And, and that's the funnest part about the shoot to me, you know, cause at the end of the day, you shoot, you have fun, you take your scores. So it's just kind of like a group competition to talk crap. When you're done, you're not even really turning in your card. No one cares about the score. No one cares about how you shot. Did you have fun's all that matters. Mm-hmm. And then you go out and you have a good time and hang out with a bunch of great down-to-earth like-minded people. 
and and you know so we got to shoot uh with a gentleman named chris adams um and he was saying when we got to talk to him that he was i was asking him uh some questions he was like dude you guys are some of the greatest people i've ever met other than the people that i went to war with yeah and that's literally like those group of people i don't know i've never been to war but the the those people are just amazing amazing people there's no arguments how do you get I, a bunch of testosterone flying around the room with <laughs> cases of beer and nobody i never heard any arguments not a single argument not a not a voice raised nothing i mean it's legitimate 100 good time and speaking of chris man chris it was a great time shooting with you buddy uh, I know you were concerned that with your knee that you may have held someone up, but if you notice, we were shooting really slow and having a good time. So we're really glad you could join us, and I hope we can do it again. Thanks, bud. I mean, it's bad enough. We hang out with Bones, so you can't really slow us down that yeah, much. Yeah, but, well, we were too slow for even Bones. He ditched us for, for Gene. I know. So it's all I guess good. That, I mean, it is what it is. We had such a great time, though. So we got to go the first night that we were in town. We got to go to the the studio, the new studio, and hang out there and see that. It's just amazing, man. They, those boys have just moved miles. Um, if you guys haven't gone over and checked them out, do so, man. Go and check out the working class bow hunter. Um, they're just they they're, they literally they, laid the foundation for every whitetail hunting podcast in the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were the the they're the OG, OGs. They are. I mean, there's everything they do is first. Mm-hmm. So big shout. Just can't uh, can't say how much we appreciate them for the love, for the support, for all the help. And <laughs> frankly, the good times and the memories that come with that. Because you don't leave a shoot. You don't leave a get together. You don't leave anything we do with them without be like, did that just happen? <laughs> it's amazing, man. And, and, and you guys will hear a lot more about them um, and the things that we'll do with them here in the future. Um, we're, we're really looking forward to the future that that holds uh, with all of us together. So definitely, man. Speaking of love and support, we should probably say hello to. Well, for, we actually got to catch up with good old Wade. Yeah. You know, we haven't seen him in a minute, so it's good to catch up with him. Why don't we fire it off with him? Yeah, for sure, man. So if you guys haven't already, get on over to Gator Outdoors, GatorOutdoors.com. Use the promo code OUTDOORDRIVE25 and get yourself 25% off. He just released a ton of shirts, um, a women's clothing line with tank tops um, and and some women's uh, like pastel colors, I guess you can call it, right? Um, Yeah. So those just released and those are on the website. So go and check them out. Use the promo code OUTDOORDRIVE25. Also new to come is the outdoor series uh, grunt tubes from Norister Game Calls, NorristerGameCalls.com. Uh, uh, those will go on sale when Mark decides to come home from his fishing trip. So probably <laughs> next week, uh, he decided to take a vacation. So we we decided instead of let, making him slave away in the shop that uh, we'd let him have a vacation. So you know off. he's sitting on that boat whittling calls, right? That's, I mean, he might as well. He's like a beaver. <laughs> um, so Nor'easter Game Calls, um, we're going to do a Fox Elderboro um, tube on there with a, uh, what is that redwood that you have? Oh, I, I have to go back and look at it. It's an exotic. Uh, like a Brazilian redwood or? It, it, uh, it's. Something like that. 
Yeah, it's a Brazilian. It's not a redwood. Burlwood. Mm-hmm. Brazilian Burlwood. Burlwood. Yeah. So that that's what the tube's going to be um, on them. They're absolutely beautiful. And the thumb is going to be that, uh, that Burlwood also. So those will go on sale here very shortly for a very cheap price for what they are. Uh, custom one, one, one of a kind. You won't ever see another one like it. So those are going to go on sale. And the only other way that you could possibly forever get one of those is on um, the bow hunting league. If you win uh, the week that we sponsor that. So, and, or you got to buy your own. So uh, also timber tumblers, timber tumblers.com. Uh, that's the place to get your custum timblers. Yeah, custom tumblers. Uh, he does dog <laughs> dishes. He does anything and everything. He's got stickers. He's about to come out with some leather burning stuff. So oh yeah, that's kind of cool. So Laser go and check edged. him out. Yeah, he's got all kinds of crazy stuff. He makes fishing lure ones. Uh, you name it. Custom tumblers. Timber tumblers is the way to go. So um also out on the limb out on the limb mfg if you guys haven't got on over there uh for you mobile hunters you guys might not be in the saddle game but the hush is now live and can be bought so go and check that thing out it's an incredible mobile light uh stand instead of uh all the saddle stuff so out on the limb also does a ton of saddle stuff your camera arms your platforms uh just a little bit of everything over there so that to have this stand is actually pretty cool. So go and check them out out on the limb, mfg.com. And uh, now's the time to get your gear. Cause if you're especially thinking of switching things up, do it now. It's, yeah. Don't wait. I, we're, we're coming up on July guys. Season's going to be here before you know it, get your gear, learn it now, learn how to use it safely and effectively before you go into the woods. And, and Steve, you make a valid point, man, like July, right? So it's about to be July. So you have the month of July, the month of August. A lot of us start hunting September one. Yeah, I mean, and if if you if you, you I mean, in some states they start earlier. So you want to get that stuff, man. You want to practice. You want to get in the tree, um, and just be safe, man. You don't want to be doing this at three o'clock in the morning in the dark or in the middle of the winter in November when everything's all iced up. You want to learn this stuff now and try and go up and down a tree as many times as you utterly and possibly can. So. Get on over, man. Check those things out. For anything that we're talking about here as far as sponsorships, if you guys go to theoutdoordrive.com, on that website, it's all click links to every single one of our podcasts. Obviously, you guys are listening to the podcast, so (laughs) you don't have to worry about that. Um, But all of our social media platforms, uh, Instagram, Facebook, all have clickable links up on there. And also, um, you can listen to all um, past and present uh, podcast on there and then uh, on the partners page if you click on the links it'll bring you right to the website uh, so it's all right there and then there's uh, the promo code listings on the bottom so pretty cool pretty awesome so get on over there and check that bad boy out and trev put a lot of work into that so go check it out just to make him feel good uh, that's the only reason i talked about it because who yeah. really cares about the website it's just because i spend so much time it just makes me feel better no nah, dude you crushed it it looks great <laughs> you, you really you put some time and effort into that thing that I, I mean, you really pop, made it pop. So, guys, Appreciate jump it. on there. Tell Trev what you think of it. If you think it looks like crap, tell him, and yeah. I'll make him change it. <laughs> Perfect. If not, <laughs> tell him good job, and we'll go from there. So, also, um, I, I do want to shout out before we get to the news for your cruise, man. Um, Mike Salter, I got to meet up with him this past weekend uh, when I had gotten home from what? the shoot. And you didn't tell me? Yeah, so I got to – so. He had a uh, a Euro skull here, 
And uh, so I met up with him and then he had a gift for me. Um, he got me the new um, hook, it's hook, line and supper um, cookbook from um, Hank something or other. Damn it. I'm we'll bad at this. Look it up. Yeah. I'm, I'm anyway, I'm bad with this stuff. Yeah. So anyway, so I just, I just want to thank him for that because it's just amazing and something that I'll definitely use. Um, this this website is absolutely insane. I mean, the this book is absolutely insane. So, <laughs> yeah, I can tell you, mine scattered a little bit tonight. Yeah, I'm a mess right now. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm trying to find. Oh, it's Hank brother. Shaw. Hank Shaw. Um, Hook, Line, and Supper is the is the cookbook. So so Mike Salter ended up getting that for me, and it's it's amazing, man, to go through there and kind of see what all the recipes that are in there a little mix. So I just wanted to shout out to him, man, and thank him. I probably should have had my uh, information down pat before uh, I did that. Yeah, that's all good, man. Speaking of Mike, what do you say we uh, let him update our people on what's happening in the world? Hey everyone, Mike here with some news for your crews. We're going to kick this one off in North Carolina where the state has seen a recent explosion in its black bear population. Uh, this is due to the ideal conditions with the short winters and the long growing seasons where bears can eat pretty much year round in the state. Uh, and the state is currently tracking at least one 1,000 pound bear uh, in the state. Uh, and this has resulted in a record harvest this past year of 3,748 black bears in the state. Um, this has been a trend recently with a lot of states seeing uh, some record harvests, and that includes another one, um, a record deer harvest in Arkansas this past year, uh, which is great as we're seeing the, the uptick in these harvests. Um, some of it may be due to a lot more people getting out in the woods, but overall great news. Now off to Minnesota where the waterfall season dates have been approved and this includes the state's first ever early teal hunting season set for September 4th through the 8th. The DNR, the DNR first announced the season in March but has been waiting for final approval from the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, to be able to set those dates. The early season will allow uh, an additional opportunity to hunt teal uh, that otherwise would have migrated south uh, by opening day of waterfowl season on September 25th. Hunters may take up to six teal, uh, including any combination of blue-winged, green-winged, or cinnamon uh, from sunrise to sunset during the early experimental season. And the DNR will assess the season this year and can renew it for up to two years. So another good opportunity there for our wing shooters. Now off to Michigan, where the DNR is enrolling private property owners in some parts of the state in a program that pays them to allow controlled public hunting access on their land. Uh, interested landowners should have at least 40 acres with some wildlife habitat, such as forest, brush, grassland, or wetland. Uh, and priority will be given to land near urban and suburban areas with limited public hunting access. Um, enrollment in the program will also focus on areas um, that have distance to public land uh, greater than 30 miles, uh, land with sharp-tailed grouse hunting opportunities in the eastern Upper Peninsula, and areas where bovine tuberculosis has been identified in the northern Lower Peninsula. So great opportunity there to 
find some new public hunting access in in uh, Michigan. So, and then lastly, uh, off to Louisiana, uh, where the state will be seeing some increases in hunting and fishing fees this year. Uh, this will be the first increase in 20 years in the state. Again, kind of a trend we're seeing. I reported on Massachusetts increases uh, last week. The current basic uh, annual fishing fee will increase from $9.50 to $17. But this will now cover activities that once required eight different recreational licenses for crab traps, crawfish traps, and other types of fishing. And the annual fishing license will increase from $15 to $20. So some modest increases, and it looks like some changes that will benefit uh, the fishermen in the state. So with that, as always, if you have any news to send along to me, it would be much appreciated. Haven't seen anything coming in lately. Uh, guys are kind of slacking. So please send some stuff over to me. Uh, anything local, anything would be greatly appreciated. So. You can hit me up on Facebook at Mike Salter or on Instagram at bearded underscore bowhunter21. And with that, enjoy the rest of your ride. Thank you, Mike. And uh, for anybody who who's obviously listening to the intro, because I know some people may or may not, but uh, if you do, um, don't be afraid to reach out to Mike on all social media platforms. Uh, he could use any information that you guys have as far as any of the laws, regulations, anything you hear on News for Your Cruise, um, you know, reach out to him and give him some information so that he can make a better news for your cruise for you guys. Um, I had actually talked to uh, Danielle from Pennsylvania. What is her last name? We're bad at this tonight. Anyways, keep well, going. She, we've been she, driving all weekend, man. Yeah, what I know. So, <laughs> I know I'm still tired. So she, she just, she had said we had a conversation and how much she really liked the news for your cruise because her being an out of state hunter, like Montana and so on and so forth. Mike goes over a lot of things that, you know, that are very needed. So, uh, if you guys agree with them, help them out, man. Get the news to to Mike so he, we can get a better news for Cruz for everybody. And sorry, Danielle, for the slip up. Yeah, I'm horrible at it. Whatever. I'll take it. <laughs> well, speaking of uh, ways to gather information on local level and state level and some of the things going on in the world as it pertains to deer, today's guest is uh, our guests, I should say, are experts in that area that's what they do for a living and uh, on top of fighting for your rights and helping you be able to continue to hunt and participate in conservation as well as educate yourself on how to be a better land steward these are your guys so i think you ought to pay attention and this will really give you a good look into how to increase your potential over the next few years guys we're back on the phone from the boys from nda how are you guys doing good tonight good we appreciate you guys taking the time to jump on with us i know you guys got busy schedules and everything's kind of crazy 
Well, why I don't you guys? Mike, but I'd say I'm glad to be here anyway. Uh, I, I'm <laughs> guessing you are as well, Mike. Absolutely. Anytime we can get on and talk about the organization and deer is a good thing. Absolutely. So why don't we go right into it? We'll turn this key. We'll get this thing in overdrive. Why don't you tell everybody who you are, where you're from, and uh, what you guys do? You want to start, Mike, or would you like me to? Go ahead, Kip. All right. Uh, I'm Kip Adams. I'm the chief conservation officer for the National Deer Association, uh, or a national nonprofit organization uh, with a mission to ensure the future of wild deer, wildlife habitat, and hunting. And, uh, and really what it comes down to is, uh, you know, we share information, we teach people how to be good stewards of our natural resources, uh, how to enjoy the outdoors, how to have better, uh, better days of field, and then, uh, and then how to cook and, and eat uh, the bounty uh, of what we're able to bring home. So uh, we, uh, we like to help people be better stewards and make sure we leave our natural resources in a, a little better place and, than what we found them. And I'm Mike Edwards. I'm the Assistant Director of Grassroots. So I get to work with our volunteer um, branches across the U.S. And we do a lot of uh, membership drives, education, mission work, and also fundraising across the U.S. So it's, uh, it's a great, uh, great job to have and working with our volunteers who are dedicated in trying to prove, improve conservation in their community and, and educate hunters and, and bring the services of uh, National Deer Association there. Wow, that's awesome! So you guys have—it's it's like a full-time job for both of you when it comes to it. <laughs> oh yes, yep. I've been here seven years. Kip's been here probably twice that. Um, you know, when I when I first learned about the organization, I I just bought my hind property or shortly before. You know, and what really turned me on about the organization was you know not just to be a consumer. You know, I was always a sportsman. I grew up in a hunting family. But um, you know how I can actually give back and how I can actually improve my my ground, you know, and rather just be a consumer, you know, not that I'm going to, you know, and there's obviously management techniques and getting bucks to an older age class and all that good stuff, but, you know, just improving the habitat, um, you know, and managing that side of it is what really turned me on rather than just being a consumer, rather giving back and improving things. So. That's awesome. Uh, you make me feel good, Mike, to say I've been here twice as long. Uh, it's been almost <laughs> three times as long now at club pushing 20 years. And, wow. and you know what, Trevor, I vividly remember uh, when I first heard about the organization at the time, I was the New Hampshire Fishing Games deer and bear biologist. So I was working for a state agency and, uh, and I got this flyer for this educational uh, series, you know, by this organization. And I read about it and I thought, how have I never heard of this? So, so I joined immediately. Um, was a member for about a year. And then uh, I was looking to get out of state government. I was looking to do more with, with individuals and, and hunters, you know, in a bigger piece of the, the country than just New Hampshire. And, and at that time we were called QDMA. Um, they posted the first position in the Northeast and it was based out of Pennsylvania. Uh, I applied for it and got it mostly because I, I really appreciated the tie that the organization had between our state wildlife agencies, you know, and the individual hunters. So it provided so much information to the individual and helped him or her, you know, as Mike said, do a better job managing habitat, um, learn more about the resource. Um, you know, all of our state wildlife agencies uh, manage at much larger scales and then we hunt, you know, whether it's a wildlife management unit or a deer management unit, but, but nobody hunts at that level. You know, we hunt at a property level. So the thing about our organization is we help people enhance what they have, whether they own the land or they hunt on somebody else's land, or even if it's public land, you know, right at the level at which they hunt, which just helps make it so much more enjoyable for them. And uh, so anyway, that was the thing that really, 
really appealed to me about the organization. And one of the things that I've enjoyed so much over the past 19 years. Awesome. Well, real quick, let me jump back. You, you bring up a, a real good point that I think we should touch on for the people who aren't tracking or following. It used to be QDMA, and that's how a lot of people I still hear referring to it as. Now, there's a convergence that took place. Can you kind of walk through that and tell everybody what that is and what the future is? Sure. Uh, back, gosh, six or seven years ago, QDMA, which was the Quality Deer Management Association, hosted the first ever uh, National Whitetail Summit. Um, there's been national summits for waterfowl and turkeys, and but there had never been one done for deer. Uh, so uh, we were we were the organization really that, that could do that. So we put this on, and it was a huge national event. What came out of that was a need for um, a group like ours, but one that had a much stronger advocacy arm, one that could work more in Washington D.C. and just speak more on behalf of the deer hunters at the legislative level. And uh, so at QDMA, we created this policy arm for us, and it was always supposed to be part of the organization. Well, through a series of uh, events, it ended up being a separate entity called the National Deer Alliance. So from 2015 until 2020, uh, QDMA. And the National Deer Alliance actually worked very closely together on a lot of policy issues. So, it, you know, it was very foolish that it was separate from us. It didn't allow either organization to be as strong in the policy arena as was intended. So in 2020, we took a look and said, hey, you know what? We really have a second chance to do the right thing. And that was allowed us to then merge into a single organization, which was exactly the way we had planned it from the beginning. So we kept all of the core items from QDMA, the, the habitat work, the, the, the hunter recruitment work, the education, the research, added in the real strong policy and legislative presence that the Alliance had into a single organization. We kept the logo uh, from QDMA because we're super proud of the 30 plus years of that and that the fact that it has a buck and a doe with it. Um, but we have a name that we feel is more appropriate now for what we do, which is the National Deer Association. So it's a name that, that works very well in your local communities. Uh, it's also a name that, that carries weight all the way uh, into the nation's capital in Washington, D.C., so uh, that's the reason for the new name. And, uh, but that's where uh, kind of how this whole the organization we have now started from. And so that's why we do have a very storied history that goes back to 1988. And, uh, but, uh, but a brand new name as of uh, November of, of 2020. Outstanding. I, I know there's a lot of people that still may get it twisted when they hear this. They're not going to put two and two together. So I wanted to clarify we get it twisted ourselves sometimes as often as we said QDMA, but uh, right. After, okay. Well, after that many years, it'd be hard not to. That's right. It, do, do they still, you guys are still going to do the same type of programs where like the steward of the land, like the level one, level two, so on and so forth. We do. Yep. We, we still have our deer steward program. And actually we added uh, a deer steward, uh, uh, a field module this year, uh, a brand new one. So, yep, we continue to do all the ones we have in the past and, uh, and expand on that and, uh, and offer new ones um, either each year or every couple of years or, or wherever appropriate, you know, when uh, we get a, a desire by enough people and an opportunity to expand into a, to a new area for that. So, but yes, that program's still going very strong. Do you actually, actually, you want to take a second and just kind of break into some of the programs that you guys do offer now as the NDA? 
Sure. I'll start from uh, the national end of it, and then I'll turn it over to Mike to let him talk about the, the grassroots part and what we do. Um, we have all kinds of, of, uh, of educational programs, and that's really what we want to do is to be able to provide this information. And one of the cool things about the, the work that Mike and I get to do together is we implement some of this from the national level. Um and we implement a lot of it from our grassroots level. So, you know, we talk about being an educational organization and doing all this mission work relative to recruiting hunters and, uh, you know, donating venison and an enhancing habitat. But the reality of it is, you know, most of that is done by the people that Mike works with, you know, our grassroots folks. So I'll let him touch on that in a minute. But uh, the, the educational programs we have, you know, as we talk about the Deer Steward program, um, that has been a super popular program for us for, for well over a decade. Now we have a deer steward one, which is a, is an online version, which teaches you the principles of QDM. It's all PowerPoint. Uh, uh, it's been dubbed uh, death by PowerPoint uh, a couple of times because it is a very intensive, very, <laughs> yes, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> very intense class. Uh, then we have deer steward two which takes what you learned in, in level one. And, but then it's the application of those principles. So most of deer steward two is actually in the field. You're actually planting a, a food plot. You're actually running a chainsaw. You're actually aging jaw bones. You're, you're making harvest recommendations. So just a cool, cool class. Well, those are the first two we had. And then we had students who had gone through both say, you need to create more, like we need more of this. So then we developed the deer steward modules, which are, we take one topic from the deer steward class, but then spend an entire weekend on just that. So for example, a deer steward two, we'll be there a whole weekend, but we'll cover, you know, 10 different topics. Well, one of our modules is a deer steward habitat enhancement module, where we will spend the entire weekend on just the habitat component. So we have people in the woods and in fields and in food plots and on tractors and all that kind of stuff. So we have our, our deer steward habitat enhancement module. We have a deer steward property evaluation module. That's the brand new one that we developed this year. Uh, we, have a, we have a predator management module uh, and we have a survey techniques module. So um, pretty interesting. You know, we're able to just provide a whole wealth more information on any individual topic like that to really take students, you know, uh, education to a whole new level. So, and we're super proud. There's no place that you can go and get that type of intensive knowledge around, you know, a QDM uh, curriculum um, anywhere. Like there's not even a, a college class that gives you that intensive information on just, you know, deer management and, and habitat management. So uh, uh, it's pretty cool. It's one of the reasons we have a lot of state wildlife agencies, you know, folks will, will attend this as well. So uh, it's, uh, it's been an incredibly impactful program. And we know that since the inception of that, the people that have come through that, um, both private and public land uh, owners and managers um, have impacted somewhere between 10 and 15 million acres of land um, through the, the stuff that, uh, that we get to teach there. So it's had a huge footprint on, uh, on habitat across the United States and Canada and, uh, and, and the wildlife that live there. So, so that's kind of the, the national part of it. And then uh, um, I'll let Mike talk about then how we direct a lot of that right into those local communities and it has such a huge impact uh, locally. Thanks, Kip. Yeah, so our branches, you know, it's the grassroots force. It's the boots on the ground in your local community. We have branches all over the U.S., basically where the whitetail resides. There's branches there. 
Um, the branches, they tend to focus on, on some, some pivotal things that they do, which is obviously membership and raising some money. But with that, they raise them funds to do projects in their local community. And it can range for anything from, you know, improving state game lands um, to educational events. A lot of our branches do tons of great educational events. Our Field to Fork program, which is getting new uh, adult hunters out in, into the woods and teaching them how to deer hunt and actual bringing them through classes to range time and then actually on one-to-one hunts. And uh, a lot of the times getting their first deer. Um, venison donation programs, um, donating to other uh, conservation things in the community. It's, it's basically whatever the group wants to do. There's, there's some general guidelines that they have to follow. It has to be for the greater good of, of conservation. It has to align with our mission goals as well. But the group gets to con- control what they want to do and what projects they want to be involved in. Uh, recently, there's been some uh, state glam uh, pickups with picking up trash. We've planted trees. There's been food plots going in. Um, they also help us with our seed program, the conservation seed program. We're able to offer discounted seed. Uh, this year we had glyphosate uh, resistant uh, soybeans and also corn. So the branches uh, got together and, and uh, sold a bunch of that to improve. And I think it was a kip 6,200 acres that we've had an impact on this year alone just from that project. So um, it's really a good thing. The good thing about having a branch is you get to meet like-minded people that are very interested in conservation and improving things in your community. And also obviously have a strong alignment with the organization and want to see deer represented, you know, deer drive conservation. And you guys know that because you're, you're educated and you understand the greater uh, model of conservation, but deer are often been, you know, not uh, represented as much as, you know, the uh, turkeys and, and the ducks and, and conservation world when it comes to national organizations. So we need deer hunters to be concerned about deer and join, you know, the National Deer Association because um, there's no other deer organization in the world that's doing uh, the good work that we do. And I think that there's like with, with the QDMA or uh, National Deer Association, people get kind of like the wrong the wrong word of it, right? Like they think that it's all about big bucks and so on and so forth. But I think across the board, it's about just the conservation side of it. It's not about just growing big deer and killing big deer. It's about, you know, the conservation side of it. For sure. And, you know, we, we certainly can, can teach people how to grow big deer. There's no question there, but you know, that that's not our main focus. And, uh, you know, we used to have t-shirts that said that we measure success in memories, not inches of antler. And, uh, and I thought that was one of the coolest shirts, you know, that we ever used because it's so much more about the experience, you know, and taking others to the woods or, you know, and sharing that with them, you know, and, and teaching them, you know, uh, how to appreciate nature, you know, and how to enjoy it and how to get closer to nature. So, yeah, you know, it's we certainly do have some members that are all about big deer and and, and there's nothing wrong at all with big deer, but uh, but that that is by no means the, the focus of the whole organization. You know, it's so much more about being responsible stewards and uh, good conservation and, and just enjoying wildlife. See, and that makes great sense. So like I'm currently in a scenario where we're going through and implementing some of the stuff that comes from the course down in an old lolly lot pine prior timber cut we'll call it they replanted it and it hadn't been touched in 25 years and the landowner kept getting mad because you know we saw a lot of deer but it was you're shooting over basically texas strips cut down in trails and you can't see anything else so we're going through and doing the you know we're getting the first thinning done and getting some plots put in and getting some habitat built so we can hold the deer a little better. And I mean, just the simple improvements we're making 
has already increased not only the amount of whitetail we have around, it's brought in turkey, we're seeing coveys of quail, and the quality of bucks as a secondhand success of it is instantly better because there's just more going on there than they ever had before. Mm. So the further we get into this, like I told Trev last weekend, coming home from Illinois, I said, you know, three weeks from now, we're, we're going to have booners on there. It's just a natural piece of what happens. But that also goes into knowing what's your right buck to do ratios. You know, how do you manage that herd to keep it healthy? You know, some of the old timers have that, well, let all the does come in. You know, if you got does, you got bucks. And I'm going, you know, that was great in the 70s, but that doesn't ring true. So you, once you educate and learn these things, you do want to do some doe management. It's cool to have a lot of does, but it's not helping you. Mm-hmm. And those are some of the aspects that it's, it's always fun to explain and try to teach and hand off to some of these other people that are trying to get into a property management plan, just because a lot of these things don't click. So I, I don't know. I've enjoyed it. I've had fun going through the program over the past th- few years and getting my head around it. Cause I was like everyone else. How do I do this? I don't have a clue. And then I got involved hmm. and it's a wonderful thing. Yeah. We, we hear from a bunch of people who um, get involved that, man, you know, you guys are about so much more than we thought. And uh, you know, we have well over a third of our members don't own a single acre of land. You know, exactly. They, they belong, you know, to, to get our magazine, they belong to support the organization that's fighting for their, you know, to be able to continue to be able to deer hunt and for healthy deer herds, you know, and they love the information. It doesn't matter if you own land or not, you know, everybody deer hunter wants to, or values, you know, understanding how deer see or how deer hear, or how deer navigate the landscape, you know, that's all helpful to, to learn more about them and to be able to get closer to them in the fall, whether you're hunting, you know, public land or, or private land and, then they say, man, we didn't realize you guys, you know, fought so hard or did all of this work on public land. So, um, yeah, you know, we, we, I've said, you know, nobody fights harder for deer hunters than we do. And we certainly would like you to be a member, but even if they're not, you know, we still value all the deer hunters out there and, you know, and, and do what we can to ensure that there's healthy deer populations that we can hunt and that, uh, that we have the right to go afield and, and pursue them. And, and you just brought up a really, a big, a big point that kind of struck, struck it with me is, um, not only are you guys talking on the management side, but the 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 being in the White House and fighting for a lot of the states for different things in conservation. Like, um, did you guys have uh, probably, and I imagine with the bodies just just throwing around with like Pennsylvania with the management side on that, where like you know the groups from the, there getting in and talking with Congress and so on and so forth. Yeah, we work closely, very closely with with the Pennsylvania Game Commission. Um, we we have great relationships with most state wildlife agencies, but an especially good one with NPA. Um, but yeah, we help a lot of states on the legislative side. Um, it's crazy the number of uh, political issues the state wildlife agencies either can't even comment on anymore or aren't even able to share what you know their view is with the public. And uh, and more than once, you know, we have looked at a. a say, you know, a bill, whether it's a, you know, a Senate bill or a house bill and, and, uh, and we'll call the state's uh, deer project leader and say, Hey, we want to make sure we understand your side of this. You know, what's your, 
what's your guys' opinion? And uh, they'll either say, oh, we're not allowed to comment uh, or, or we're not taking a stance. And, uh, you know, I can't even share with you how our department feels. Well, geez, you know, they're the professionals in that state hired to do that. I think it's yeah. absolutely insane that because of, you know, political nature that they're not allowed to share. Like, what if one of your deer hunters calls you and says, hey, I'm going to comment on this. Is this good or bad? And in an increasingly uh, rate, you know, they can't even tell that person whether they, so because of that, we are able to play a bigger and a bigger role for deer hunters, you know, to, to help states, you know, oppose really bad bills, help support good bills, you know, either in a state level or especially at the federal level. So uh, um, we, we play in that arena more than ever before, which really helps hence the merger, you know, with that much stronger policy arm. So uh, it allows us to do a lot more for deer hunters, but at the same time, uh, do a lot more to help state wildlife agencies whose, whose hands are tied because of uh, political issues uh, way, way too often. Well yeah, said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it probably can't be easy to have to deal with them neither. And, and, and they need, definitely need a voice when it mm -hmm. comes to it, especially a lot of states, because some of them are getting worse than others. Yeah. And you know what, when, when you see a bill, you often think, um, must be everybody from the state, you know, either agrees with this or opposes it, but that that's almost never the case. There's a lot of times you will have a, a, a certain bill that will impact deer hunting that, uh, has been proposed, you know, is on the table. And in some cases, the state wildlife agency is supporting it. And then we'll talk to the deer buyers and he or she will say, we absolutely oppose this. This is terrible, mm -hmm. but we're being forced as an agency to support it. So, you know, the, and many hunters just think that the whole state is all on one sided, but it's, it's not. So we do that digging in and find out, Hey, you know, is this actually good for deer management in your state or not? And, you know, are you supporting or not on the record or off the record? And, Hey, what can we do to help? So, uh, you know, that's what the great thing about not working for uh, for a governmental agency is that, you know, we're free to follow the science and, you know, and, and advocate for what is right, you know, and we don't, we don't have to, you know, worry nearly as so much about the, the bureaucracy or, or the political ties that, uh, that all state wildlife agencies are burdened with. Right. And, and I, I agree with you. I think it's become absolutely absurd when our state appointed officials and our hired experts for the state aren't even allowed to put out their opinion. You know, mm -hmm. they were hired to give this information to the state appointed official. Yet when they give them the opinion, they get shut down. <laughs> yeah. How does that make sense? Yeah, it doesn't. That sure doesn't. So is there other things that we're kind of missing on as far as some of the other things that the NDA does now as a whole group? Uh, Mike, you should talk just some about some of uh, all of uh, the youth and military hunt type things uh, that, that our branches do just to get people uh, involved. Um, in many cases, ones that wouldn't have that opportunity otherwise. Yeah, so the branches do tons of, of good work. Um, they do a lot of youth hunts. Uh, we've done a lot of military hunts. We've done wounded veteran hunts. Um, field days, Kips Branch and NPA just had a, a field day this past weekend where they, they learned about the outdoors and were able to uh, participate in some shooting sports and, and other skills. Um, you know, really education and not, we have four critical areas that we've been really focused on, but it branches out beyond that, just like the branch network. It, um, our work really does branch far, but, you know, education and outreach, um, the R3 movement, recruitment, retain and reactivate hunters. Uh, that's been a, a hot topic and we have led the way on getting new hunters out there. 
policy in Avis Cube, which we talked about. And then, of course, you know, herd health when it comes to disease and CWD. Um, that's that's a big area. So our branches from there, that's kind of like the, the, the four main critical areas. But then they can branch off from that. They do scholarships. Um, they do, um, we've improved gun ranges. Um, we have improved land access for public land to getting in, you know, parking lots and access roads. We've put in water bars. We've done culverts, tree plantings, all sorts of good stuff. Um, a lot of the good um, programs are, are the, the social aspect stuff where we get to bring out, you know, new hunters and the youth hunters and also uh, military youth hunts and those type of things. They're just fantastic events. Um, and then the social aspect, obviously, just the networking uh, from those events of being part of a branch and, and being with like-minded people and, and being able to share ideas and, uh, you know, have a fire pit conversation and, and uh, enjoy deer and, and the greater good. That's awesome. I think it's such a great program and I think everyone should be able to get involved, honestly, because it does a lot. It does a lot for everybody, you know, on even on the local level or the national level. I think it's it's definitely an incredible group. Um, how does yeah. one go? Oh, go ahead, Kip. Sorry. No, I was going to say, I'm super proud of, of what our branches are able to do, you know, and just how much stuff that they can accomplish on the ground. And uh, it's nice in that it's it's not just centered in a certain you know region of a state or a certain region of the country. It literally is in all of these communities where they exist, mostly because the model that we have for funding them is very different than most other conservation organizations. Most when the branch does or chapter does a fundraiser, you know, the, the, the national office takes the vast majority of that, and then they dole it back to the states, you know, for, for big projects. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's, I mean, that works well. We take an entirely different approach though. And we, we know that money was raised locally. So we want to see a lot of it stay locally. So where most organizations take 98 or 99% of all the fundraising dollars, uh, we keep 40% of the fundraising dollars right there in the local, or our branches. So where, you know, our local chapters of other conservation organizations have a fundraising event and will send 99% of it to the national office. My local NDA branch does that and keeps 40% of it for themselves. So since we allow so much more to stay locally, that is what allows us to do so much on the ground in these communities everywhere. So uh, that really spreads out the good work and the goodwill. And uh, anyway, um, that, that model is not for all the organizations, but uh, but it works really well for ours. And it's one that I'm super proud of and one that our volunteers yeah, really, really like because they get to keep such a larger piece of the pie. Wow. And then it really makes it, it really affects the people on the local level more than, you know, because you do, you see it a lot with, with a lot of the other bigger organizations. They'll take it and then they won't do anything, especially, I mean, Connecticut in itself, right? Because obviously I'm from Connecticut and the area here, like for like, say like, um, you see it a lot with duck hunting. So like DU or whatever, they'll, they'll, will do fundraisers and so on and so forth, but they won't do anything for the marshes or the swamps here. And then you go to another state and they, they have giant like Wisconsin and they'll do a ton there, but they won't do anything on the local level. So it's not even, it's, why would you want to push for something like that? Right. I mean, honestly, and I don't want to bash another organization yeah. or anything, but just saying kind of an example. Yeah. No, I get it. And, and DU has done, you know, obviously just incredible work, but, uh, 
part of what you just said there was, was one of the reasons that we developed the model that we did to be able to help keep more of that locally. So, you know, we don't, we can't purchase, you know, tens of thousands of acres of duck habitat or of deer habitat, you know, like DU does, but, you know, we're able to keep all of this money, you know, in these local communities to do more. So mm -hmm. that's the approach that we take. And, uh, from the public land end, one thing that's pretty cool is, you know, we recognize that, that we're just not built to buy land for deer hunters. So we can't give them more land, but we fight very hard to open more land for them. And then also to make a bunch of that public land better. So for example, we work uh, with the, the Forest Service. We have a, a contract with the U.S. Forest Service to allow us to get contracts to do work on national forests to enhance habitat. So, for instance, we're working on one right now in Mississippi, the DeSoto National Forest. We're enhancing 45,000 acres of public land for hunters. Now, it's land that currently is open to hunting, but some of it is simply not accessible to hunters. You just can't get there. And most of it that is open sucks for habitat. I mean, it's not so, you know. Okay, yeah, it's open, but what good is it if, if it's not any good for wildlife and you can't get there? Mm -hmm. So what we do then is we go in, help with these habitat projects. We're cutting trees. We're doing all this other stuff to take that 45,000 acres and turn it into really good habitat for deer and other wildlife. And at the same time, improve the, the uh, access so that hunters not only have a better place to go, but they can actually get there and take advantage of it. So, and we have uh, actually a, a project right now this is this 45,000 acres in Mississippi is the first step of that. But, uh, but we have a goal of, uh, of enhancing 1 million acres uh, of national or of uh, public lands, increasing that habitat for deer and then making it more accessible to hunters. So, uh, so we can't buy a million acres of land, but we can work and improve a million acres to make it way better for deer and hunters. So uh, that's, that's the angle that we take with that and, and something that I'm super proud of. Yeah. And well, we, we definitely need to get that improved around some of the public here in Virginia. <laughs> there, there are a couple of chunks that we go into that that's the exact problem. You can get in 200 yards, but after that, good luck. Uh, you know, we have, and at Virginia is a tough one. We have uh, spent a bunch of time fighting in the past and we'll continue, you know, in the George Washington and uh, Jefferson national forest, you know, just to be able to cut some of those trees, you know, it, it's, you know, it, it's overgrown, it's overmature, you know, so little value to, to deer and everything else. So, um, yep, that's, that's exactly the type of thing that we're talking about here. And, uh, yeah, we will continue to work and, uh, we have not met with, uh, with the four supervisors in Virginia yet. Um, but, uh, but our contract is good for regions eight and nine, which is essentially the entire yep. Northeastern U S and Southeastern uh, U S. So, uh, so Virginia is in there. So, uh, it's on our list of States to, to come and, uh, and tackle. Well, when you do, give me a call. I'll come up there with you and tell them how horrible it is to hunt currently. <laughs> That'd well, be cool. I will do that and do a podcast here sometime in the future once some of that is enhanced. And uh, we can just talk about now uh, how good it is for deer hunters. Oh, yeah. We well, turn around and here's your success story. The proof's in the pudding. Yeah. Absolutely. That'd be great. We've already hunted it, so we already know how it is. <laughs> Trev got his first taste of it uh, last year, and he got a real good look at when I go – yeah, you know, when people say it's thick, I don't think they quite get it. Mm -hmm. it it's, I, you got five feet to see, and that's it. And I bet you there's a bunch of forests out there that are like that, that probably that you guys have helped out and, and kind of moved forward so that they can, they can, they were actually huntable. 
Yeah, I mean, because in a lot of cases, I mean, where the Forest Service, you know, was just from a political nature, hands are tied so many ways, you know, to do doing some of this habitat work. So this is one of the ways that we can help that, you know, where they can't cut these trees and, you know, there's just too much red tape and too much bureaucracy to make it happen. But through a wildlife habitat uh, enhancement uh, program, we are able to actually make that happen on the ground for them uh, as an NGO. So uh, as a, a non-governmental organization, you know, who, who works with wildlife habitat. So it's a great partnership that we have, you know, it's one that they enjoy as well. Like they want to do that. They just can't where uh, by working with us on it, we're able to get in and actually do that. And uh, so it's great then, you know, our local branches in those areas uh, are then have better access. They have better places to take new hunters that want to go. They have better places to go themselves. So, uh, you know, uh, we are, we have big plans to tie our, our branches into these uh, communities as we enhance this work on these national forests one by one. And uh, man, it just makes it better all the way around for it's better for the deer. It's better for the other wildlife, you know, better for, uh, for hunters in the area and, and wildlife sightseers and everybody. So it's, it's a cool deal. Awesome. So one question I have for you that I think will really reach out to a lot of the listeners is most deer hunters do not have private land, right? You're always relying on leases and permissions and things like that. Part of the time, because the public land isn't very huntable. The other part is, you know, they may not have the access as a public landowner. What can they do locally to help enhance that and have an impact in either support of you or just on local officials and start get the ball rolling to improve their situations? Yeah, uh, easiest thing is to join uh, our organization and, and be able to be a part of you know that work that we're doing on those public lands. Simply by joining, it allows us to do more and uh, and work on more national forests uh, at a time. Um, then it, it would provide them an opportunity to, to be involved at the local level and uh, have access to that and take advantage of it. Uh, in lieu of that, you know, they certainly can talk with their their local officials and just let them know that they want to see better habitat management on our public lands. You know. Sometimes it literally is a matter of, well, there's just not a budget for that or we can't. Other times the budget is absolutely there. It's just a, a matter of uh, the, the manager's hands are being tied for political reasons and thinks, you know, that, that some folks who don't want to see trees cut, you know, uh, complain enough that, uh, that, that they make it so that the, all that work doesn't happen. So right. um, at the very least, you know, let local officials know, hey, I'm I am for scientific management of, of wildlife and of our habitats, you know, and and uh, that's not just for private land. That's for that's for especially for public land as well. So, um, you know, a diversity of age classes of our forests is extremely important. That's exactly what, you know, you guys see so much there in, in those national forests in Virginia. As you get older and older forests, you lose that diversity, you lose that age structure. And then, uh, man, that's not good for for uh, for any of the or it's not good for almost all the wildlife species that are there right and you you hit a really good point right there the fact that those that are opposing it tend to have more people and a stronger voice because they like to talk and they poke and prod mm -hmm. and on our side everyone complains about it but there's just not enough people reaching out saying just hey here's my vote this is what i would like you know, and if we flip the numbers, I think we could start seeing some of those transitions because now you're going to have more pressure to do it as opposed to not. 
No, that's right. And, uh, you know, as a perfect example of that, uh, Mike spearheaded an effort in New York a few years ago, uh, you know, looking at to increase uh, poaching fines and penalties for people who were, you know, illegally killing deer. And, you know, there's a lot of people that said, ah, you know, you'll never get this changed. And uh, through Mike's work, talking with, with senators, talking with legislators, sharing information, getting our branches involved, getting our volunteers involved. Uh, heck, today, New York's laws are far stricter. So it's absolutely possible. And Mike is, is living proof of it. And uh, actually, he's almost uh, done it again, has started uh, a conversation there to increase uh, legal shooting hours in New York. Uh, New York's the only state that makes you wait until daylight to shoot. Almost every state, you can start a half hour before sunrise. Right. In some cases, you can start an hour before sunrise. It's not that way in New York. You can't start until sunrise. And uh, through Mike's work, again, starting locally, getting our volunteers involved in all of that, it is now, and the New York DEC's uh, management plan has been proposed to extend those shooting hours to be in line with almost every other state out there, which is a huge benefit to hunters. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of people saying, oh, you can't do this. It won't change. Well, once again, Mike started with one person himself, got our volunteers involved and uh, it is just about to, to have another huge victory for, for deer hunters in New York state. Outstanding. Mike, can you tell us a little bit about that? Cause me personally, I'm a big fan of, stricter penalties and a little more pressure on illegal hunting, poaching, things of that nature. Sure. I think this was probably, well, as I was still a volunteer. So I started as the organization as just a member. And then I went to the deer steward classes. Uh, and then I started a branch in my local community in Rochester, Western New York. And then I became the state president. So at that time is when I started working on, on trying to increase the, the poaching legislation. And then I got hired on, it was seven years ago. Um, so, you know, I thought, hey, this is going to be easy, right? We're going to increase poaching fines. And you wouldn't believe um, there were some groups in New York, other conservation groups that weren't supportive of it. They didn't think poaching was a problem. They thought that we should be uh, worried about all types of illegal hunting. And what about the turkeys? And, you know, deer obviously are the number one hunt species. And yes, there's certainly poaching and trespassing issues when it comes to turkeys. I'm not, I'm not discounting that, but deer by far raises the most concern and, and uh, you know, um, definitely a lot of illegal and unsafe hunting practices related to poaching. It's, it's not hunting. It's, it's, it's literally stealing and then being criminal. So um, it was a tough battle, but um, we uh, we met uh, with the organization at that time. We met with Kip and said, "Hey, we want to work on this." And uh, so we ran through some things. We we got some data. Uh, we looked at the law. We looked at other, what other states were doing. Um, the Whitetail Report, which is a great thing that we should touch on, uh, has a lot of great data on on states and what they're doing on all sorts of topics related to deer. We looked at that and saw, man, New York is really really behind. In fact, I was traveling for work, and I remember I messaged Matt Ross, who's one of our employees. He's um, uh, he's a New York resident as well. And I said, I can't believe it. And, and you're part of the state. It's, it's, uh, it's more expensive to throw your trash out of the window and littering um, for your fine than it is to take a, a deer from poaching in New York state. And that was just wow. crazy. So we, um, we worked, we had contacts with a uh, Democrat um, legislator in New York state representative and also a Republic one. And we talked with them and we explained the problem. We tried to educate them. We provided the data and we said, this is a, you know, really a problem here and it's getting hunters a bad name. It's creating safety issues and it's definitely getting some folks worked up. So from there, we went to other conservation organizations and, and tried to pitch it, um, tried to get them to rally behind it. And uh, it just took a lot of work. It took a lot of uh, calls 
visits to the Capitol, uh, visits to offices, a lot of mails. I have a picture that I put on social media. At that time, I, my mailbox was stacked full of letters that I was sending out on behalf of the state branches and, and the members there. And lo and behold, we, we got it done. But it wasn't easy. It took a couple of years. I can't remember what the exact stat is, but I, I think a lot of the legislation, like it takes the average bill takes seven years to get through. Now, it seems like the bad ones go through really quick, but the good <laughs> ones that you want take a really long time. So that's that's the uh, Cliff Notes version of, of the battle to get poaching fines increased. And it was a modest increase. It's better than it was. Um, you know, I knew that if we had really, really, really advocated for really strong stuff, it definitely wouldn't have gone anywhere. And you just see that. And, uh, you know, especially in New York with the political climate and with bail reform and those those type of things, people are just like, oh, they don't really understand, you know, the issues and then how we can stop it. So it was definitely a big win, win for New York. And uh, it was a lot of work, but it certainly was, you know, worth it that we know that we you know, did things and try to improve and, and advocate on the behalf of deer and also, you know, legal, ethical sportsmen of the state. So. Awesome. See, and that, I, I think the way you approach that is absolutely perfect. Much the same way that Pennsylvania has just worked to open selective Sunday hunting. Here's a little bit. Let us gather the data from that little bit and we'll bring you back that information. Here's the scientific proof that there's a difference in effect there's positive coming from this, the negatives are decreased, and then it's a lot easier to build ground. Yeah, so. absolutely. You know, in the, the hunting hour situation, too, that Kip had mentioned, too, that's all data-driven because the data clearly shows that having, you know, that extra extended hunting time um, does not increase the chances of firearm fatalities. You know, it's clear. You, you can't argue the data. I was reviewing last year's, the New York Outdoor News posted an article. I think there was 50 or 60 um, hunting incidents and not one of them was because of, um, you know, something that would be related to legal hunting during that time frame. So, uh, you know, the message here is get involved. You know, we can talk about public lands not being good and we can talk about the things we don't like, but being involved and joining an organization um, and then, you know, starting a branch or getting active in your branch or just becoming an active member. You know, you can be a member and still be active and follow the things, the legislative and the advocacy alerts that we put out, you know, contacting other sportsmen's groups, you know, educating and, and raising awareness. That's that's half the battle, too. So we can sit back and hope that it's going to get better or we can dig our heels in and try to make it better. And that's that's really what we're about. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that that's a huge thing because. They, the people need to get involved. I think there's there's a lot of things out there that you know need to change. That some of these blue laws that have been around forever and so on and so forth. And, and Connecticut's one of them. You know that they they need they need that help, man. And and having a group like this to be able to reach out and and help those things are definitely going to be kind of cool. Especially now having a branch here. Um, um, one thing I did want to ask. I know we said about getting getting involved and so on and so forth. Where does one go about getting involved in, or where do they start to become a member? Easy thing is just go to deerassociation.com. You can join right from there. Um, you can also call if you want to join, you know, by, by phone. That, that is fine, too. Um, but definitely check out deerassociation.com. Tons and tons of resources there. You can see all the good work we do. You can see branch events. You can join. You can support a lot of the national. Every, generally, every month we have a national fundraiser or sweepstakes or some promotion going on. That's a great way to help out. A lot of the times there's a membership included, not all of them. Um, 
but uh, that's a great place to start is just to join. You know, if your local branch is having an event like a banquet, you know, you can come and attend that. They also include memberships. Um, not all of our branches are doing banquets, especially just coming out of the pandemic. Uh, right. There's a number. There's probably going to be about 30 this year, probably closer to 50 by the time we're done. But it's definitely slower than normal. But uh, just join. I mean, you can join um, by going to the J Association. It's pretty simple. You know, and if you want to get involved with the organization, you know, just as a member, just just follow in our magazine, sign up for our, our uh, newsletter. We have an email newsletter. You can do that right from the website as well. You have to opt in just because of federal email laws. Um, you have to opt in to receive our email, but there's tons of good deer stuff. There'll be action alerts from your state. There'll be things about biology. There'll be you know new products from our sponsors, all sorts of good stuff for the deer hunter. Um, and then if you're interested in starting a branch, just reach out to me. My email is simple. It's mike at deerassociation.com. Walk you through the process. It's pretty simple. We have branches I might be able to connect you with. Some of our branches are extremely active. Others are still looking for, you know, more help. So there certainly could be a branch that you could help getting moving in the right direction or start a branch. I started a branch, so I think I have some pretty good perspective on what it takes. Uh, Kip still volunteers with his branch, and they've been around since 2002. Um, just do tremendous amount of good work and getting involved. And it starts with that membership. Then it starts with, hey, let's get active, involved, and try to move this forward. Um, you know, and then the policy advocacy side, letting us know about some local issues mm -hmm. is important too. Um, we're really telling our branches that, hey, let us know, you know, reach out to Kip and then uh, Tora Miller is our director in policy and advocacy. Um, let us know about those because we want to be involved in all the issues. And sometimes we don't hear about the, the smaller community, um, you know, issues that are local, you know, the big ones like the Staten Island thing we'll, we'll, we'll hear about, you know. But uh, the smaller issues, often we don't hear about them and we want to hear about them so we can, you know, look at the situation and, and comment when appropriate. It's great to have an organization like that, man. <laughs> How would you not want to be part of that? I mean, it's, it's, it kind of sells itself, right? I mean, why would you not want people to stand behind you and help you out with the kind of the things that you deal with? And then, you know, the managing side, I mean, how would you not want to learn how to go and manage deer? I mean, I mean, look at in the back of Mike's, I mean, look at those big bucks. I mean, that's how he learned, right? <laughs> that's right. That's right. If you build it, they will come. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. And, uh, you know, we have things for all types of deer hunters and it's, you know, getting them to an older age class. We know how to do that. That's the easy part. Right. You know, and then when try to, you know, hunt that older age class buck, it's a little bit more difficult, but, you know, we try to give a good content on that as well. Um, so there's no other organization that has done the things when it comes to education, you know, for sportsmen, there's, there's none. And I can say that with confidence and pride. And I always tell everyone, you know, I would be in a public meeting starting to start a branch and be like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not just, you know, drinking the Kool-Aid because I work here. I, I started as a volunteer. I still give money to the organization and, and I'm an employee full-time, but I still get to the organization, still volunteer with my local branch because I believe in what we're doing. So, um, you know, we're evolving, we're becoming more modern and progressive, but you know, we, we are the deer group to belong to and, and we need, we need members and we need people that want to be involved and to help support us. You know, um, it, it, it's needed. Otherwise you can just got to sit back and accept the way that things are, or we can try to make it better. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. I love the mission statement. I love the group. I think it's a great thing. Um, I think everyone should join, but, uh, I do have one last question, guys. We'll, we'll kind of wind this thing down. Um, the one and only question that we ask here is uh, what drives you guys outdoors? Making memories of the family for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I grew up spending a lot of time outdoors with my father, with my grandparents, um, uncle, my cousin. So it, it's just my, 
everything that I do just revolves around some aspect of nature. And uh, not to say that, you know, that I don't like to go and do other things that, that aren't involved, you know, with the woods or outdoors, but uh, you know, uh, I find far more enjoyment in you know, um, spending the day walking through the woods, whether it's, you know, squirrel hunting or deer hunting, or maybe not hunting at all, you know, just, just walking with my kids or, you know, with somebody who doesn't understand the woods and I'm able to share things with them about, you know, uh, Hey, this is what that bird you hear is, you know, and this is why it's singing there. And, you know, this is uh, the habitat that's allowing it to be there. And so, you know, just a, an understanding of, of the natural world and, you know, getting your hands dirty, helping to make uh, you know, habitat better for them. Um, that that that's what does it for me, and I'm you know, I've been a wildlife biologist for almost thirty years now. But I say you know, I am first and foremost a deer hunter. You know, uh, I certainly like the science end of it. I love my job, but uh, you know, but you know, I'm a deer hunter at heart. And uh, as I get older, I certainly have uh, continued to appreciate making things better for deer from a habitat end. Um, sharing, you know, the, the wonderful, wonderful experiences that I've had in the woods with others to to help them have, you know, to be able to either get closer to deer. Uh, closer to turkeys or something else, or even just a better understanding, you know, of what's going on there. So, um, you know, only 4% of the United States buys a hunting license. So, you know, we're, we're quite in the minority. So, uh, you know, some people say it's my God-given right to hunt. And man, I wish that was true, but we don't get to do anything in the United States because 4% of us like to do it. <laughs> right. You know, we get to do that because fortunately about 80% of the public today supports hunting, you know, supports legal, ethical, regulated hunting. And, this, and that's especially when that uh, uh, quarry is used to feed your family. Now you can talk about hunting support for anything else, trophy hunting or anything and all the support then drops, but hunting for food has extremely high approval ratings. So, uh, for us to be able to continue to hunt, you know, we need to continue to be good stewards, portray a good public image. So I love the opportunity to, to anytime that I can take somebody who doesn't understand all of that and share that with them. So then that he or she can talk more knowledgeably about the value of hunting and, you know, and, and how hunters are, are really, really good for society. So, so uh, that, that's what, that's what drives me a field. Outstanding. Well, gentlemen, I greatly appreciate you guys joining us. It's been a really good explanation, and I think it's going to open a lot of folks' eyes as to what they're missing out on. Hmm. So anytime you guys want to jump back on, you got a free seat. I'm always happy to share this out with absolutely anyone who will listen, because if any of our listeners out there are the guys that are complaining that my public land sucks, or I wish this was better, or I wish this law was changed, and they haven't looked at you, then they're not doing anything. They're part of the problem. Hint, hint, if you're listening and that's your complaints, join the group and start making a difference. That's the only way to make it happen. With that, I'm going to wrap this thing up. And for everyone listening, thanks for taking the ride right here on the Outdoor Drive. <laughs>